Let's keep worshiping the Lord just a little bit here. The Holy Ghost isn't through with this. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. What, a, what an awesome word from the Lord. And it so happens so often happens in meetings similar to this um, I don't know what Brother Morgan's going to do but I know that what the Lord has given me is essentially just a continuation of this I didn't know what he was going to speak and like Brother Shetwell this is part A, part B will be in the morning the Lord willing praise God I awoke morning of uh, February the 18th of this year, which was my 57th birthday, I woke uh, thinking it was just going to be a day of waiting for the snowplow to come by our road so we could finally get out from the snow of the century. That's what they called it, Maryland. But um, about 10 o'clock that morning, I got a call. Brother said, Brother Wright, you need to get up to church. The snow's collapsed through our roof. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I said, Sean, this is my birthday, and I, I don't need you joking with me about stuff like this today. He said, Brother Wright, I'm not joking. So quickly rushed out, managed to get out of the last part of the snow that was in the driveway and there was but about a one lane on the county road which is usually well maintained to get to the building and we had to walk in waist high snow from the nearest parking lot we could get to up the street and in our driveway and there it was. The roof of the auditorium was on the floor on the ground and uh I'm going to preach to you this morning, or talk to you a little while, on this subject. Lessons learned when your world collapses. Now, this is not negative. And I'm not teaching this to get you to feel sorry for me. Um, it's not the point. The point is most valuable stuff to listen to is that which has a high price tag on it. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound critical. Honestly, I don't. But nothing in this world scares me more for the future of our movement than the direction we're going toward intellectual preaching. 
with, that may stir us emotionally, but it's obvious that the man preaching it has paid no price to preach what he's preaching. Because the difference in listening to someone where you can tell the obvious price tag on what he's saying and somebody that's just repeating something that they've read someplace or listen on some tape someplace that they've got no price there's no 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 person involved in it nothing of themselves involved in the message that the difference is so great that one may sound great in fact that may be the guys that get invited to preach camp meetings but you don't hardly remember what they preach by the time you drink your coke and eat your hot dog after service Praise God. Oh, I'd like for you to read with me, please. I'm going to read two places. Luke chapter 2 and verse... I'm going to begin with verse... Um, keep that on since I'm not staying up here. I'd like to begin with verse 76. Luke chapter 2 and verse 76. And thou, child... Excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 76. Luke chapter 1 and verse 76. Thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 79 in the Amplified says, To shine upon and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to direct and guide our feet in a straight line into the way of peace. The Living New Testament says to give light to those who sit in darkness and death's shadow and to guide us to the path of peace. And then Romans chapter 3. Beginning with verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, are, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. talk to you a little bit and my subject in the, le the primary lesson here is the way of peace you may be seated book of Philippians is a, uh, a major book in helping people who want to be a part of what God's doing and whatever I am thrilled for the privilege to be ministering to home missionaries because I am one not was present tense 
September 1970, my wife and I drove into Annapolis, Maryland. We were it. We were the only church. We didn't have any contacts. We didn't know anybody there. We still pastor that church. It's now next month, the 12th of September, will be 33 years. Um, I feel as much a home missionary today as I've ever felt a home missionary. Uh, the Lord has blessed us. And uh, when I get discouraged and down, and He forces me to remember the good things He's done in an area where I had uh, significant people in my life ask me, why do you want to go up and waste your life in a God-forsaken place like that? Uh, this summer already, with no building, uh, we've uh, already had over 800 free times this summer. Um, over 20 home missions churches have been started out of our church in 33 years. We've licensed 73 preachers. We've got two full-time missionaries on the field out of our church. Uh, currently, we have 12 congregations plus our mother work, and those 12 congregations aren't in the churches we've started out of our church. But I don't have a building. I said to my wife this morning, you know, I've stood up here and we were praying last night. I've uh, done everything I could to resist weeping over this. I didn't think it'd be very positive, and I stood up here last night and I don't know what the Lord was trying to do. It wasn't very fair. Uh, last October, I'm a serious amateur photographer. My dad was. 30 years in the Navy and photographer and it, I got it by osmosis and I love to take pictures and take thousands of pictures and uh, last year was the best fall of colors on our property that was ever there and uh, I'd spent all that time I, I, I got some great pictures of our building with the fall foliage and I mean they were just beautiful beautiful pictures and I've got them scanned into my computer and and uh, and all of that and I stood here last night and the Lord did a slide projection for me in my mind and it's never going to be again it's, it's over with that, that's gone it's nothing but a memory built there's nothing but a slab there uh, well that's almost down the slab now they're hauling it off and we're looking at probably two, three years at the earliest to have a sanctuary again on our site. <laughs> Praise God. I'm going to talk to you today about how to have peace. Because if you don't have peace, you're not going to have endurance. And the reason for our success in Maryland, more than any other single thing in my opinion, is that we're still there. That's the reason for the success. We're still there. So many guys go places, and if something doesn't happen the first couple of years, this can't be God. And you go someplace else, you either call there or you're not called there. And if you're not called there, you need to go find out where you call to. But if you call there, Brother Pew told us, you know, if you're called to this city, prove it. Go buy a cemetery plot. 
You want to have revival someplace? Go buy you a cemetery plot. If you're there just with your toes dabbling in the in the water to see if things are going to go your way, you, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why would God give it to somebody who was just looking for a, a stepping stone to an advancement? Why does He want to give you a bunch of babies? There are, there are plenty of churches around that pride themselves on being stepping stones for advancement. They change preachers that often. They're happy to change preachers that often. They'll give you a place to advance yourself. Don't, don't tie up a city if you're not sold out to that city. If those people going to heaven or hell is not your passion, do yourself and them a favor. Move out so somebody else can go there. Praise God. But an old prophet of God said to me 30, almost 30 years ago now, he said, Brother Wright, it's easy for God to build a church in a city. He'll spend many, many more years in this city building a man of God than he will building a church. He said, it's easy for God to build a church. The hard part is for God to build a man of God. And so... He's still working on me to make me what on me, right? Praise God. And so he's, sometimes it seems like everything that happens has one purpose, just to beat my brains out. We were playing some golf, Brother Thornton says to me, Brother, Brother, Brother Wright, every time you hit a shot, it's the right shot. I said, that's exactly the problem, Brother Thornton. I'm uh, by inheritance from both sides of my originators. Stubborn, self-sufficient, and uh, something I've learned in the last six months, a control freak. And it's not you I want to be in control of. I don't want to control people. I just want to be in control of me. I'll trust God with the church, Brother Dylan. I don't have any problem trusting God with the church. I don't have any problem trusting 12 guys to be preaching to people that I love, and I pastor most of them. And out there on Sunday morning, I'm not preaching those people. I don't have a problem trusting God with, with the work of God. I just want to be in control of me. And uh, he is determined that's not going to happen. I want to talk about that a little bit here today. I don't know why in the world it seems like I, I always am required to deal with stuff that is just hard to listen to. One guy said to me yesterday at the table, is it okay if I just repent now and confess I'm not doing anything and I'm backslid so that I can kind of get myself in tune for your preaching tomorrow? (laughs) 
Okay. Praise God. Peace. Um, I didn't think it was possible, Brother Strickland, to have the Holy Ghost and walk with God and think you have peace and really not have peace. And I'm 57 years old. This coming February, I will be 58, and I will have had the Holy Ghost 46 years. That's a long time to have the Holy Ghost and not really know a whole lot about peace, thinking you did. But in the last six months, and uh, February, August the 18th, which was Monday, was exactly six months ago. In the last six months, I have uh, learned... I am learning about peace in a way I never have before. Why is peace so critical? I'll show you why. If you'll go with me to Colossians chapter 3, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to demonstrate to you why it's so critical to have peace, biblical peace. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, verse, uh, I'll start. Just start with verse thirteen. Forbearing one another, no, verse twelve is a good one too. Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of per perfectness. And let. Everybody say let. That means to allow, right? It means there's a choice to be made. There's something I've got to do here that God can't do till I do. There's something God can't operate until I choose to let it operate. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. The Amplified says, and let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from, from the Christ, rule, uh, parentheses, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality, all questions that arise in your minds. In that peaceful state to which, as members of Christ's one body, you were also called to live. And be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. And the Living New Testament says, Let the peace of God which comes from Christ be always present in your hearts and lives, for this is your responsibility and privilege as members of His body. The Amplified here is very literal when it comes to the Greek. The strong, strong says the word translated rule is to act as an umpire. To act as an umpire. And uh, the Amplified tries to explain that by saying that, that this umpire or uh, what's arbitrator is a good word for this. Deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds. In other words, 
every decision, thank you, every decision that we make, the, the determining factor in whether or not it is the will of God, aside from a specific word from God, is how does this affect my peace? How does this affect my peace? If I don't have peace, then my ability to make good spiritual decisions is in varying degrees hindered or totally ineffective without peace. Got to have peace. The Bible says that Peter said to Cornelius' household that in every nation, you know, people repent, whatever. And that they, he came preaching peace by Jesus Christ. That was the message he came to Cornelius' house with. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says we're supposed to, to put on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Figuratively speaking, the part of me that is in direct contact with this world is my feet. And the Lord is trying to say to me that the insulation between me and the world is not holiness. It's peace. Holiness doesn't have anything to do with the world. Holiness has to do with my relationship with God. Holiness apart from relationship with God is Phariseeism. Holiness not preached from the perspective of it being an expression of a dedicated, personal, intimate relationship with God is not worth the breath to preach it. The insulation between me and this world is not holiness, it's peace. Let me tell you something. Now, I, I, I've never drank or smoked or whatever. But why do you think people drink? They don't have peace. Why do you think people use drugs? They don't have peace. Why do you think people can commit adultery then I have peace if I have peace I'm content I, if I'm content what am I what am I I'm not looking for something else it's a way of peace the word way there is a conduct of life or we would call it a lifestyle we are called of God to live a lifestyle of peace it's a lifestyle of peace. You know, the man of God was preaching to you this morning. What is the problem with condemnation? It disturbs my peace. Condemnation disturbs my peace. And I've got thousands of decisions I've got to make every day. 
and, and it's peace that is the arbitrator. Peace is the arbitrator that says, this is the way you should go. Way of peace. Lifestyle of peace. Don't do this. This isn't just conscience. Sinners have consciences. We are called, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we are called to peace. God has called us to peace. It is God's intent for me to have peace. 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 Of course, peace is the general word. There are three elements of peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace with myself. I can lose my peace in general by not having peace in any one of those areas specifically. So I have to, I have to, uh, uh, I, have to, I, have to I have to work on all these areas every day. Paul said that. He said, herein do I exercise myself, Acts chapter 24 verse 16, to have always a conscience void of disturbance. I paraphrase there. I, I exercise myself daily. Here I do exercise myself daily to have always a conscience void of offense, void of disturbance, void of agitation toward God and toward men. And I am one of them. So that's not just toward others, it's toward myself. That's why there is a threefold element to this relationship thing in the greatest commandments. First and second greatest commandments. Because love cannot work where there's not peace. So when it says to love, your, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, I can't love God if I don't have peace toward God. How, because the scripture says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How can I even bother to try to do the word of God when I don't believe I'm at peace with God and God is pleased with me? So I'm going to struggle to do the word of God and the work of God because I'm already in trouble with Him. And then the second one is, love your neighbor as yourself, or in the same manner in which you love yourself. But we love Him, First John 4, 19, because He first loved us. So, peace, love comes from Him because peace comes from Him. God is love, but more than any other thing in the New Testament, and I've looked this up, there's a couple of things He says He's the God of in the New Testament. But, Almost three to one, he calls himself in the New Testament the God of peace. When he says he's the God of something, almost three to one in the New Testament, he says he's the God of peace. He is love. But you won't see, you won't hear, I don't see the words God of love in the New Testament. It's God is love, but he is the God of peace. I've been called to peace. Almost every epistle 
is open with words similar to this. Over half the epistles are open with words similar. Grace and peace be unto you. And then, and then Peter and Jude takes it a little bit farther. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh, I want, I want, I want multiplied peace. I want multiplied peace. The Lord said, it, I believe it was in Isaiah. I read it this morning. I don't remember it right now, the, the chapter and verse. But you, you, He said, if you would have just obeyed me, then I would have given you peace like a river. Peace like a river. You know, I believe the scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But in that specific context, that specific definition of faith, there's not a lot of stuff we have every day that we can have faith over. We don't live, we live by faith, yes. But really, we live by something that's an expanded version of faith. Trust. Faith is confidence in what God has said. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Trust is confidence in who God is. The difference between Elijah and Elisha is, Elijah was a man of faith. You give him a word for God, he could go to the top of Carmel, kill 450 prophets of Baal. But when he didn't have a word from God, he'd go running from one old witch of a queen. But the double portion that Elijah, Elisha got was he didn't just have Elijah's faith. He got something Elijah didn't have. He had trust in between words from the God, from the Lord. You couldn't tell any difference in his attitude and demeanor in between words from God. You couldn't tell the difference. Why? Elijah didn't have peace. Unless he had a unless he had specific direction. But Elisha had peace when the whole armies of uh, I believe it was Syria was camped outside the walls. And his servant came and said, Oh, oh master, we're surrounded. He calmly walks up to the wall. He says, Lord, would you please open this young man's eyes and let him see? That was peace. That was a product of trust. Isaiah 26 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in the Lord. Now Paul had some experience in this trust stuff. The book of Philippians was written from jail. The scripture says he was in bonds. You know, being in jail is not the same thing as being in bonds. Some people are in cells, but they're not in bonds. They had him chained. Apparently, he dictated this to somebody to write. They had apparently let somebody visit the cell, and he's in chains. Here he is. He can't even write. Somebody's having to write down this letter to the Philippians. 
And there's no book that I've found in the New Testament that has anything more specific to say about peace than the one written by the man whose hands were chained and couldn't even write it down. He says some awesome stuff to us in Philippians. For instance, Philippians 1.6, being, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Amplified. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of His return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. I said in a place I was ministering just recently, I said, you know, I'm 57 years old. I, I, I thought living for God was going to be kind of like 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 the natural life. You spend all that time educating. You go to, to kindergarten, then you go one through 12, and then if you choose to, then you go on to college, and some people go get a, a master's and a doctorate. Finally get all that education, and it's time to go to work. And I'm learning, and I'm older. When, when, is it, when am I going to graduate? When are all these hard lessons going to quit? When am I finally going to have the degree and I'm, and I'm top the hill and it's just cruising down the other side? When am I finally going to get there? Because it really seems to me that the older I get, the harder the lessons become. And then I read this verse written by a guy who's given his whole life to ministry in a dungeon with his hands in chains and can't even write this message of encouragement to the church at Philippi. And I go, you know what? Topping the hill is called leaving this life. It doesn't get downhill till then. And just like the closer you get to God, the quieter the voice gets, the older you get, the closer to the top of the hill you get, the harder the lessons become. Why? You know, you reach a certain place, you know. I remember when I preached like this when I was 25 and 30. Oh, he's just an overzealous kid. And then I turned 40 and I find the attitude didn't change. Then I turned 50 and I said, okay, wait a minute. Blame it on somebody else, something else now, but it's not that I'm too young. He'll grow out of it. Grow out of what? Hungering and thirsting after God? Is that what you grew out of? If you're breathing, you're supposed to be hungering and thirsting. It says that the work He's trying to do in you, He intends to keep, to keep on working in you till the day He takes you out of here. That's what it says. Alright, let's go on. Philippians chapter 2. How about verse 13? For it is God which worketh in you, for it is God which worketh in you, both the will and to do of His good pleasure. Listen to Amplified on that. Uh, not, on, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire, both to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. 
Living New Testament says, For God is at work within you, helping you want to obey Him, and then helping you do what He wants. Wait, helping you want to obey Him, and then helping you do what He wants. Ooh, Lord. And then, and then He gets, you know, every chapter shifts gears. It gets more difficult. And then it says in chapter seven, verse of chapter three, verse seven, but what things were gained to me? Those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do do count them but but dung that I may win Christ. And you know what the Lord has taught me in these last six months? Most, one of the most difficult lessons to learn is how to deal with loss. Because there's a lot of folks here that can't move to the, past, the future. Because the thing tying them to the past that, keeps, that won't let them forget that which is behind is the loss in the past. And what, that, what they've lost in the past has them so emotionally tied to the past that they can't have a spiritual hope for the future. That building's never going to be again. You hear me? It, we're not putting it back like it was. It's not going to be there. It's gone. Finished. I, I said to my wife this morning, you know, I told her what happened to me last night about seeing that mental uh, slide presentation of those beautiful pictures pictures of that building last fall it had never looked better it was it's not a spectacular building you're looking at it, you'd never call it the best looking building in pentecost it was functional it wasn't a beautiful building but we had we had maple trees planted all the way across the front and they're about oh probably about 20 feet high right now red maples and and, and all of those leaves were turned red against that white building you talk about beautiful. That building has never looked more beautiful. And I said last night, the Lord was playing that slide presentation of all those pictures I took last fall of that building over my mind. And He said, have you really given this loss to me? Have you really given it to me? Or are you still grieving over it? i got to admit to you, the last six months I've spent most of the time in a cave. I'm good at it too. Call ID is a wonderful thing. My mom and dad are here. They'll tell you how many times I haven't returned their calls. Brother Shatwell's here. Brother Cornwell's here. I've offended both the two of my best friends in the whole world. I don't want to talk to anybody. Because to talk to somebody, I end up talking about what happened. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to I just want to avoid it. And then the problem with that is I don't want to go on the hill. That's where our church is. We call it the hill. Antioch Hill. Because it's in it's been in various states of uh, of collapse and then being torn down. And why do I want to go and see that? I was telling her this morning, you know, some places people go, they they do awesome stuff with buildings. They have a hard time getting people prayed through. We've never had a hard time in that God-forsaken heathen land in 33 years of praying people through. But we have battled our guts out just trying to have a building 
took 12 years to get the one that fell. First 12 years, we used 22 different buildings. That's not exaggeration. You want to come, I'll take you every site. 22 different buildings in 12 years. Finally got a home. Antioch finally got a home. We built it ourselves. A lot of you know what that's all about. It wasn't just a building. We didn't pay some contractor to come in and do it and move in and pick it apart. You might pick apart what a contractor does, but you don't pick apart what you do in your hours in the evening and on the weekends. You want to slug somebody in the mouth that picks apart that didn't show up for work. You want to criticize? Where were you 12 hours last Saturday? Where were you all five nights this week or four nights this week when we weren't having church? And you want to come in and be the foreman on the job and critique what we did? No, sir, buddy. That was what fell. I can take you to places on that old stained carpet that they said it was an athletic carpet because that was a multi-purpose gym that, that we, that, where we were using as a church that fell. We've been in there 12 years. Built an auditorium, moved in to January the 1st of, of 83. But God blessed the thing moved. And so we're going to build a new sanctuary and turn that into a school. Guess what? We got the auditorium turned into a school and ran out of money. The recession of 89 hit. So the only thing left to do was expand the gymnasium and use it. And we never thought we'd be there from 90 to 03. Well, the Lord took care of that. We're not in it anymore. Don't have nobody complain about it. When we, when, when we moved in it 13 years ago, we bought this expensive athletic carpet because we're going to play some basketball in there too and had to have PE for our school in there and all that kind of stuff. We have a church in there. I can take you to some of those stains we haven't get out, been able to get out. I know what happened when those tear stains were there. I know who was there. I know exactly what happened. I know what took place in their life and how they changed on those spots. That's gone. Dedicated four grandchildren in that building, three grandchildren in that building. Married one son off there. Both of them preached their first messages in that building. Revelation here, answered prayer there. Angel of God appeared there. Gone, gone. All that's gone. No, I've been in a cave. I'm just hiding. I don't talk about it. Well, are you okay? In my spirit, yes. It's not my spirit I'm having a problem with. It's my emotions. Because I'm dealing with a loss just as if it was a loved one. Because it was a loved one. That's my, that building represented my life. I, I don't know what to do with it. Not the building itself, but the, 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 it, it represented the battle. The fight, the struggle to get there. And the Lord said, Hope can't work in your life while you're hanging on to the past. You can't hold on to loss and experience hope simultaneously. Doesn't work. Can't do it. Hope only deals with the future, hope never affects the past. And that's why 
what I counted gain. I got to lose. Because you see, I got to lose it to Christ. I didn't lose it to the snow. I lost it to Christ. It's a lot easier to deal with losing it to the to Christ rather than losing it to the snow. Brother, right? I can't believe the devil did this. Let me tell you something right now. If I believe the devil did that, I'd pack my bags and leave that town right now. If my God is no more powerful than that, I might as well quit and give up. Absolutely. But here, here we are. <laughs> you know, all the cattle are gone. Oh, all the sheep are gone. The camels are gone. Uh, all the oxen's gone. Oh, all ten of your kids are gone. He didn't say, God, why you let the devil do this to me? He said, The Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. You don't believe God does stuff like that, do you? Did you hear what the man of God taught this morning? Ooh, that, that, you know what? Some of you got a problem with that, don't you? Well, let me tell you something right now. You believe what you want to believe. But that makes you a victim. I'm not a victim. A church I pastor is not a victim. A devil didn't do that. He couldn't do that. Even the insurance understands that. You know what? They call that an act of God. Why is it the insurance understands what we don't? Act to God. I came home from this conference last year. Brother Morgan preached me under major conviction. It's all his, this is all his fault. He's not in here to defend himself. That's not my problem. He preached last year. It's time to quit talking about we're going to have revival. It's time to believe it. That, the Lord, that spoke to my heart. I went home. I said, church, you know, we're, we're missing something here. So we went on a seven-day fast. And this is, you know, we're going to bring these walls down. Literally, that's what we're doing. We're bringing the walls of Jericho down. We're going to bring it down. And, and, and like they marched around one day, the first six days, I'm asking you to come up here and pray two hours anytime you want. We're not going to do a chain. You come on your own schedule. We're going to fast seven straight days. And you and we, I probably had 80% of the church participate. And then the last day, we're going to start at 6 o'clock on Friday evening. And we're going 24 straight hours. Everybody will come up here and pray as long as you can. We, there was no time. We had less than about 300 people in the building. And that evening, Friday evening, the seventh day, we're up there. This is our seven times around the wall. That evening, about, uh, oh, it must have been about 10 o'clock, I was reading through Joshua again. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this building, this auditorium is too small. It's been too small. What are you going to do about it? He said, you believe I've given you this county? Go take it. Take this church out of this building on Sunday nights. I, I got up, told the church. Taking it out of this building. About 2 o'clock the next afternoon. My Lord. 
believe what you want to do. I, I, I don't, I'm really hesitant to say this kind of stuff because everybody's seen Michael and had Michael a president and all that kind of stuff. I know. But something happened in that building. Two o'clock, October the 19th, Saturday afternoon. One of the most supernatural moves of God I've ever seen in my life. We knew something was going to happen. So immediately we started planning. Raised the money. Spent over $10,000 on, on a brand new PA system that could be kept in a trailer and hauled out. We bought a portable organ, another keyboard, everything that we could keep in a trailer so we wouldn't have to haul it in and out of church. But something we could take in a building. Did all that. Uh, we made, made plans for advertising. One of the guys did all the, did all the uh, uh, reservations. We, we made uh, reservations in like five different high school auditoriums for about a month at a time from January to May. Had it all done. By the 1st of December, we had all of our, we knew where we were going every Sunday night for the first five months of the year. About the middle of November, the Lord spoke to me and I said, uh, I said to one of the guys, I said, you know, we got a bus that's, we're not using, right? Yeah. Is it, is it mechanically okay? Yeah, he said the seats are torn up pretty bad. I said, what do you think about turning that into a mobile baptistry? He said, Brother Wright, if you want it done, I'll do it. I said, well, I really feel like the Lord wants us to have that. It's been the only Baptist we've had for the last six months. It was ready, finished and ready to go before Christmas. It's got four change rooms in it. It's got a baptistry in it. We've got a way to, we, have to wait, we have a way to heat it. Turned it into a billboard for our, our, our uh, crusades because painted a big sign went on the side of the wall, uh, side of the bus, on both sides of the bus. So we could drive it around, people could read about it the services and all that. All this was done. And then we had six weeks worth of practice. How to go in and set up, go into the new auditorium. Six weeks worth of practice before that building fell. And somebody wants to tell me the devil did that? Spiritually, I don't have a problem. Spiritually, I don't have a problem. Emotionally, it's where the problem is. But here's what we don't understand. The emotional tie we have to our loss, whether it's the loss of our virginity that we gave away, or some purity, or the loss of, our, of, of, of the opportunity to win somebody's acceptance or approval, or, or any, any loss that I've got an emotional tie to that ties me to the past, that I haven't been able to take that loss and give it to Jesus Christ and say, here it is, it's yours, keeps me from facing the future and it's only when I let go of the loss and face the future that hope begins to work. And hope, biblical hope, is not our hope. Our hope is wishing. Biblical hope is confident expectation. Excuse me, but biblical hope is greater than faith. There's a lot of things I'm believing for. I can't tell you with an absolute surety I know it's going to happen. But when I'm hoping for something, I'm telling you when I say I'm hoping for it, I know without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, this is going to come to pass. Hope's greater than faith. Hope maketh not ashamed. And Romans 8 says we're saved by hope. But hope is what gives me the, the strength and encouragement to face my future because I'm not trying to live down the past. 
But you know what Paul learned here? And this is the hard lesson of chapter 3. The hard lesson of chapter 3 is he didn't just give up what he already had lost. But in learning the lesson of how to deal with loss, he took everything he still had and counted it as lost already to Christ for the purpose of winning Christ. It's one thing to deal with what you've already lost. It's, a, it's another thing altogether to deal with all that you could lose and give it to the Lord and be free from the effects of it. And if you end up losing it literally, it's already dealt with. I've already given it to Christ. You know, you, you know the problem with teaching this kind of stuff. I, you know, I'm just as much flesh as you are. The, the Lord hadn't been trying to teach me this like six months. He's been trying to teach me this for years. But I've been resisting Him. I'll get a little bit of it and give it up, and get a little bit and walk in it and, you know... Just about the time you realize how much it's going to cost you of your own control over your own life. The problem is, while you're dealing with loss, what, what you've lost or what you could lose, you're not facing to see what you could gain by, by being able to walk with the Lord like you've never been able to walk with Him before and be sensitive to Him not like you've never been able to be sensitive to Him before. So therefore, you don't see that what, no matter what you could lose, it's nothing compared to what you can gain. So it looks like the price is high, but if I could ever let it go and see how free I am to just move toward the Lord without any encumbrance, it would change everything. Forgetting those things which are by. Forgetting them. And then, then chapter 4, this is where it bears down. This is college here. Chapter 4 is college. Okay? And, 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 and this, is, this is where we, we think the Scripture, in our minds subconsciously, we believe the Scripture is, is very extreme. That He can't mean it literally. Verse 4, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure or true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are, are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Verse 6, 7 talks about the peace of God. Verse 9 talks about the God of peace being with you. And notice the difference in the thinking. It's thinking that changes here. Thinking changes. Because he's saying, I don't want you thinking about what you're, you're afraid of losing. What is worry and fear? 
if it's nothing more than fear of loss. Come on now. Come on. I, I, I feel that flesh. I got it. I got flesh too. I know what it's like to resist this. Where you don't want to perceive this. I beg of you for your sake. Don't force God to put you in a position where you have to learn this or die. Don't do that. I testify. Don't, because God has determined His people, His people learn this. Because let me tell you something, we're never going to see what God's got promised to the church in the last days till the people of God learn the way of peace. Learn to walk in the way of peace. Never going to do it. It's not going to happen. Why? Because in history, every major revival brought persecution. Somewhere in the back of our minds, we've been watching the charismatic movement too much. And we think growth and all of that's going to produce popularity. The fact that they become popular through their growth proves as much as anything else it's not truth. Because in the book, when truth had major revival, it brought opposition, not popularity. And some of us think that if we can have a great enough revival, everybody will think we're the best thing on the block. Hear me right now. That's a lie. That is not true. Every major revival in history, biblical and historical, has produced persecution of immeasurable proportions. Unimaginable proportions. The greater revival, the greater the persecution. And you know something? Somehow, inherently, Holy Ghost-filled people know that. And that's why we want church growth, not revival. Because I can control church growth because church growth ignores the most significant principle of revival. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Let me ask you, which, which is the last church growth book you read that used that as its foundational principle? Which is the last church growth conference you've gone to that that was the foundational principle of the conference? And yet that is Jesus' foundational principle for growth in the end time. No, I can have church growth without dying. But let me tell you something. You can't have revival without dying. You can't have an apostolic harvest without dying. You're not going to participate in it. It's automatic. Except the grain of wheat fall on the ground and die. But if it dies, if it dies, I've died a few times. I got the fruit to prove it. I didn't stay dead though. No, 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 I didn't stay dead. I died long enough to have a harvest here and there. But I didn't stay dead long enough to see what God wanted to really do. Can I submit to you today? Can I submit to you today that Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7? is the formula for dying. 
Bible, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. How did Jesus die? The cross. Uh-uh. It's a proven medical fact. He died of a broken heart. You don't die from crucifixion. Not in six hours. The fact that they put a spirit inside and out came coagulated, separated into parts, blood and water, or the plasma and the, the red blood cells. It was already separated. Meant that his heart had ruptured sometime before crucifixion. And it was bleeding into the pericardium of the sac around the heart. And it had been there long enough to separate into its constituent parts. Death started in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the proof that his heart had ruptured was he sweat great drops of blood. He didn't die. The cross didn't kill him. The cross only exhibited the death. He died to the cross in the garden. And how did he die in the garden? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. Please, I don't want to be offensive to anybody here. But you know what I'm learning over these last few months? I've had the Holy Ghost 46 years, and I don't know how to pray. Because I thought prayer was hallelujah, glory to God, hallelujah, glory to God, talking tongues a little while, praise God, glory to God. Or prayer was, Lord, I need you to do this, and Lord, I want you to do that, and Lord, do this, and Lord, do that. But you know what real prayer is? Father, this is what I'd like for you to do. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. That's prayer. That's prayer. You know why? Because the Bible says you have need of patience. Cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense and reward. You have need of patience that after that you've done the will of God you might obtain the promise. You know what the word patience means? It's the word Greek word hupomene which means it comes from two words. To stay under. Truly being dead is not praying your way out of situations. It's praying your way through situations. Don't take this off of me, Lord, till I learn what you're trying to teach me. Don't change this situation until I get, get out of all of this what you're trying to give me, Lord. In your patience, in your staying under, possess you your souls. In your willingness to trust God with the loss. In your willingness to surrender all of that to God. That's where the power comes from. Because then you're dead and that's where fruit comes from. My God. Do I believe in binding and loosing? Yes. Because the literal translation of binding and loosing is this. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So all I'm doing in true binding and loosing is hearing what He said He's wanting to do and simply being the conduit for speaking it. I'm not telling Him what to do. I'm not trying to force His hand. I'm not trying to make it in. 
them before it's time. Just at peace. At peace. Peace. How do I get peace? Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. But in every circumstance and in every, everything by prayer and petition, definite request, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God and God's peace be yours. That tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The prayer of asking, asking, get me out of this, change this, I'm, I'm hurting, heal me. I don't want these problems, I don't want this pain, and I don't want this pressure. Get me out of it. That's what... Those who consider them, many of whom consider themselves real prayer people because they have prayed themselves out of more schools that God's ever put them in. I've done it. The Lord says, I'd like to teach this to you now. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, Lord, I'm hurting. I'm under this pressure. Get me out of it. He says, okay. You don't want to learn it now? I'll let you out now. And that's happened time and time and time again. But there comes a time when God says, no more. You either stay in it or you and I part in company. I've let you go long enough. You can't, I can't take you where I want to take you until you get this and you've procrastinated it long enough. So buildings collapse or children die or you lose your camels and your oxen and your sheep. And he says, this is a situation you're not going to pray your way out of. If you don't pray your way through it, you're not going to make it. Not going to make it. I love you. I don't want you to be lost. But I've called you and you're not yours. You're mine. And what I intend to do through you and still try to save you you're not going to be able to survive the prosperity if you can't handle the test. If you can't deal with the loss, you can't deal with the gain. Listen to this. Listen, I, I read this today. This blew my mind. Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want. This is verse 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But listen to this. Verse 11. Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. Live a New Testament. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily whether I have much or little. You look at Paul. He's in prison. He's in bonds. We would call that need. He reached the place in the way of peace that he said, 
I don't even have a need. If my Savior that loves me put me in this place, this is the best place in the whole world to be. Don't get me out of here until he's ready for me to be out of here. This is the best place to be. I don't have need. I've learned to be content in every situation he puts me in. I've learned to have peace. In every trial, in every test, in every failure, in every success, I've learned how to have peace. I don't have needs. What, did, what do you think Paul meant when he said, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches and glory? That's the same guy that said, Brother Hayden preached about him last night. He was in fastings often. That meant he had food and chose not to eat it. But he was in hungerings often. That means he was hungry and didn't have anything to eat. You mean God failed the man and didn't supply his needs when he was hungry to eat? When that man said, was the instrument used to say, my God shall supply all your need according to riches and glory? What is he talking about? He's talking about reaching a place of peace and contentment in God that such. I have no need. Wherever I am, in the perfect will of God, is the place God wants me to be. And if I'm in this place and my Jesus is with me, what in the world more could I need? That's why the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else is an addition. Additions are needs. If I get Jesus and His righteousness, Brother Dylan, everything else I get is an addition. It's not a need. How can He be? How can He say I supply all your needs? I got a dad sitting back here, eighty years old, had the Holy Ghost about 28, 30 years. With emphysema, should have been dead. No telling how many times. With a promise, He says God's going to give him new lungs in this life. Really? How many of you have loved ones you prayed for, you fasted for, that died? I don't know Brother Windross's new wife, and I'm not passing judgment on her at all. But I knew his first wife, and I knew the team they were. I knew them here in this life, and I, in this country, and I, I, I preached for them down there, and I watched how they operated together. And when I heard she was sick, I prayed. I said, God, I can't imagine how crippled I would be if you took my wife from me. Spare this man. Spare his wife. I don't know why she died. How could a God that supplies all your need let someone die that you love like that? Need. Unless that verse means something completely different than our interpretation, which is more charismatic than it is biblical. Because blessing in the charismatic world, in the church world today, is all monetary and physical and, and temporal stuff. But according to the Word of God, I'm blessed if I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The hunger and the thirst is blessing. Hungering and thirsting is blessing. That's blessing. That's blessing. Not the being filled is blessing, but the hunger and the thirsting is blessing. 
I'm going to quit just here, just almost through. Just but this, the Lord showed me this just this morning, and this is so fresh. I got to eat it just a second. John chapter, John chapter sixteen, and verse thirty-two. Oh, listen to this! Listen to this! Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, philipsis, pressure. Strong says the word is pressure. In the world you should have pressure. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amplify. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Certain. Undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of its power to harm you and have conquered it. What's he talking about? And we know. That all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. Those two verses are saying the same thing. Jesus said, don't sweat what's coming along. You don't understand. I've conquered the world. Anything it brings against you, I have conquered its ability to harm you. I have conquered its ability to do you harm. And even when it's trying to do you harm, it's doing my work and will to make you better. I've conquered disease. And yet, people of God are sick. He's conquered death. He's conquered it all. He's conquered the devil. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has deprived it of its ability to do you harm. And even in its motive to do you bad, it still does you good. If you're walking in peace. If you're walking in peace. Can we just, just raise our hands quietly just a moment here? Let the Word of God find a little... A seed doesn't need a huge amount of ground to find a place to germinate. A seed just has to find a place under a clod somewhere. Can you just provide just a little opening to this seed? Can you just provide just a little opening to this seed? And give it a place to find lodging? I don't have all this down by a long shot. And you're not going to get it down in this one service either. But oh God, He's not going to give up on me, Brother Shadwell. He's just going to keep on, keep on, keep on working till I've got this. So that if the day comes that I'm in a dungeon somewhere with my hands in bonds and I can't even write my own letter of encouragement to somebody, I'll be able to say, Hey, all is well with my soul. You can make it too. And that's what He said to him in chapter 1 of Philippians. He said there's a lot of people getting courage and boldness because of my bonds. You know what He's really saying? There's a lot of people getting more bold in God because they see that the worst they can do to me is not having any negative effect. 
What's there to fear, Brother Strickland? What's there to fear? Come on, just one more minute here. Brother Morgan's coming. Come on, just one more minute. Come on, just, just let that flow. Come on, let, let, the, let the Holy Ghost water that seed just a little bit here. Let the Holy Ghost water that seed. Let the Holy Ghost water it. Let the Holy Ghost water it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.